Back pain is something that affects millions of people in this country and around the world every year. And what if the number one thing that people are doing to address that, to solve that, to fix that is the exact wrong thing? What if paying attention to your back isn't the cure for back pain. We're going to dive into that on today's episode of the Movement Movement, the podcast for people who want to know the truth about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body, starting feet first, because you know those things are your foundation. Um, we break down the propaganda, the mythology, sometimes the flat-out lies you've been told about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body, to enjoy uh, dancing, moving, running, walking, hiking, yoga, CrossFit, whatever it is you like to do, to do that enjoyably, efficiently, effectively. Did I mention enjoyably? Don't answer. That's a trick question. I know I did. Because um, look, if you're not having fun, do something different until you are. Because if it's not fun, you're not going to keep doing it Anyway, I'm Stephen Sashin, CEO of ZeroShoes.com, your host of the Movement Movement Podcast. We call it that because we're creating a movement that involves you. It's totally free, totally easy. Tell you how in a second about movement, about natural movement, helping people rediscover that natural movement is the obvious, better, healthy choice, the way we currently think of natural food. The part that involves you is really simple. Go check out our uh, website, www.jointhemovementmovement.com. Joining just means participating, sharing, um, subscribe to find out about new episodes, uh, find out where you can find the podcast, find out where you can find us on social media, um, you know how to do all that stuff. In short, if you want to be part of the tribe, please subscribe. So um, why don't you say who you are, what the hell you're doing here, and let us have some fun. Perfect. So I guess I'll go first. I usually go first and then I interrupt. She goes first and last. (laughs) That's that's the bio. So we work together. We work together and we talk over each other a lot. So we are both coined. We've self-declared that we are unconventional idealists. Do you have individual names? Let's start there. And we have individual names. Lisa Borden. And I'm David Newton. There we go. And so David, Lisa, um, now from there, jump off. And um, you can start with the kind of bigger picture of what you're up to, or we can jump into you know what I teased with the little back painy thing, wherever you like to go. And, and I'm just going to preface this by saying, did I reach out to you first or did you reach out to me first? We reached out to you. And I reached out back to you because I checked out what you're doing, which was completely consistent with everything that I said in the intro and what we're doing, hence the fun of this conversation. And so anyway, wherever you want to start, because I know where it's going to go and I know places it's going to go that we definitely didn't anticipate. So here we go. Absolutely. That's the best part of an open conversation, right? No agenda. So David and I started working together just a few years ago, even though we have long careers in our own right. I've been in business development and marketing communications, helping people and brands who really care and are trying to do something different for themselves. And I've been in movement and fitness for 40 years as a profession. And we met in David's class. We met, I met David by taking his class and, and, The story that I always love to tell is I showed up and to me as a busy entrepreneur and a mother of three, I was looking, I was so looking forward to this spin class because it's like entertainment and um, it's a place for me to dump my stress. And I got into class and David was there and he was standing barefoot beside the spin bike. And I was like, this is a problem. This isn't what I signed up for. (laughs) And then he started to teach and I realized he was training. So he wasn't there as entertainment and he was actually training and talking about movement and how to move well. And I was just all ears and taken. And then, so it all got my, my, the business development person. He was like, why are you just standing here in this class? You have to do something bigger. And so we started 
talking and we realized that even though we did very different things and we're very different people in so many ways that we thought the same Mm. and like our connection with you, um, it's when you can have an open conversation, you're on the same page. It doesn't matter whether you're selling footwear or food or movement or movement um, at all. And so over time, we ended up without a plan starting the Akira concept, which is what we are doing together now. And it's all about helping people discover their wellness intelligence, which is about making sure that they are their own best experts, which include, and why we reached out to you is we've tried every, you know, all the barefoot footwear, minimalist footwear out there. We're just so taken with your design and what it actually affords in terms of feedback for people so they can be their own best expert in how they move. So let me jump in on that because, um, you know, humans are odd ducks. That's a fun way to put it. And so I love the idea of what you're doing of helping people. I'm going to reframe it and to become their own best coach. And which is what we try to do with zero shoes, because you are getting the feedback that helps you do that. But I know I've seen, and I'm curious what your experience is that more often than not, people just want a simple prescription. They want a little box where they can check things off. And they, the idea of learning to listen to yourself um, is often somewhat um, off-putting, let's say. So talk to me about how you've experienced that and how you've handled that. So for us, one of our foundations is know your why. And one of the things that I, I spoke to Lisa about is if I walk up to you at any given time and I ask you why you're doing that, if you can't tell me why you're doing it, then there's probably a, a really good chance that you are not doing it well. Mm. So the whole idea of, of knowing your why feeds very much into being your own best coach. Or expert, yeah. but- I guess the thing is, is you bring up what the challenge is for us in marketing our business, because it's actually unique that, you know, one of the things is in movement, especially and in fitness, it's all about reps or metrics. And we're judging everything based on numbers and none of our work, none of our movement, we stripped all the metrics back. So as you said, it both gives people this permission and we create the conditions for anyone. So we don't have a demographic. We have a psychographic where we say, it's if you care, we're ready to work with yeah. you. If you don't care, the thing is, is you are looking for that prescription. You are looking for those metrics and we don't offer that. So it's actually, it is really difficult for people to wrap their heads around. But because we spend so much time with people, we have programs that are weekly and we have our own community where people gather they get actually used to it and they realize that there's freedom in it and it sets them up for success like we're creating the conditions for success rather than saying it's a hundred i can't do it i'm not going to do it i'm going to look for a different program that meets my needs so you know like with anything a lot of people won't use zero shoes because they think they need support in their shoes. They've been told that they need support. So I think that's the same for us. It, it is a struggle for business to get people to take charge of their own um, life, even with support. I mean, it takes thinking. It's funny. I, I'm going to come back to this in a, I've got to do this tangent before I forget. I spent the weekend actually thinking about the workout program that I want to be doing for my particular goals and the fact that I'm 59 and I can't do things the way I did it when I was 29. And my goals are, are a little mixed because I'm 59. On the one hand, as a master's all-American sprinter, I wanted to do things to improve my sprinting. On the other hand, as a guy getting older, I want to do things to have a little extra hypertrophy and build a little bit 
else before, you know, that becomes basically impossible. Um, and there's also the vein component where there's things that I would like to change because um, I think they would look better when I look in the mirror. My wife might like, you know, the way look the way they look. Anyway, you know where I'm going. So, you know, it, and one of the challenges I had over the weekend is is that I'm putting all these things together in a way that is simultaneously, just like you said, actually challenging, but freeing, because it does become my thing where I have control over it. So I appreciate that, obviously, but I want to back up, David, to your point about knowing your why. Can you give me a slightly more specific example of how that comes up for you or for the people that you guys are working with? So any movement, I would say, um, so for example, something as simple as a squat, if I, if somebody's performing a squat and I ask them, why are you doing that? If they can't tell me that they're doing it to build uh, hip strength or hip stability, if they can't tell me the bigger purpose of the hip being the primary site of locomotion and the squat actually addressing that, then I know that there's a very good chance that they haven't connected those dots. And so they, they're probably squatting because they want their quads to be bigger or they're squatting because they know that squatting is good for your lower body or so it's a, it's a really interesting concept, the, the whole idea too, you had said something about having fun. Like, I mean, that's one of our biggest things is it doesn't matter what you're doing. If it's not bringing, joy yeah, it's, if it's not bringing you joy, we call it the joy factor. And if it's not bringing you joy, then the reality is, is that there's no longevity there. Either you're going right. to quit or you're going to get injured, but something's going to happen and it's going to cause you to stop doing it because it lacks joy factor. So joy factor is a really big deal for us as well. So that's what David said, except to feel good in movement. And one of the things that we crossed on when we started working together was it's the exact same thing with eating a tomato. So like, what? Why? know your why, know your why. Why does that tomato taste so good? Well, it tastes good because you grew it yourself or it tastes good because you're supporting a local organic farmer who likes something rather than a tomato that was grown by child labor far away that was coded in some. So if you really trace everything back to why you're doing it, knowing your why yeah. it's actually, you know, Dave and I learned that it's, if you can laterally shift your thinking. So if you are a thinker in terms of movement, you can be a thinker in terms of food and you can be a thinker in terms of one of the reasons why we love your brand is because of you. So it's not just that your footwear is great. It's that it's made ethically and you have this amazing zest for life. So obviously your footwear is going to come with that kind of energy. Yeah. And that's something that we get to partake in, which is why we love to recommend it to yeah. everyone we work with. Well, A, thank you. And B, I'm going to keep harping on this because I'm, because I'm really fascinated by it. So you, we're in this situation where I'm squatting and you ask me why I'm doing that. And I go, well, I read in men's fitness that it's the most important exercise you could do. What happens next? So I would ask for more information. Okay. So I would ask, um, like, how, how is the squat bringing quality to your movement or, or quality to the way you live in your body? I'm going to role play this for the fun of it. Okay. So, well, um, I have no idea what you even mean by that. I just heard, you know, I'm trying to be fit. And I read this article in men's fitness and squat, I mean, it, you know, it affects a lot of different muscles and various things. So it seems really important. So I'm not sure what you mean. Okay. So it seems really important. I guess I would, I would go that route and I would want to know what the importance is. So it really is about you being able to tell me why you're doing it. And if you're telling me that you read it in a magazine and they say it's important, I'm going to try to, to help you understand that that's not enough. It has Why to, yeah, it has to, it has to translate into 
you existing in your body and actually experiencing why a squat is the way to go when it comes to strengthening core hips legs and everything being connected yeah. that's what you always so when you go to. when you go up a flight of stairs if you're connected to your squat you're going to realize that every time you step on a, a tread that you're going to be in essence doing either a lunge or a squat you can take it either way and that that translation or that understanding is going to cause you to go up the stairs with greater i guess the most important thing is about uh, our technique and if you go up the stairs with better technique because of your squat, then there's that magic connection. So I love that. I mean, we could continue to do the role-playing part, but what's interesting to me is from you saying, there are a couple of things you just said in there that immediately made my thinking, uh, one thing made it change and one thing brought some recognition. The change was, oh, okay. So men's health says it's a great exercise. Why is it a good exercise? Well, if I'm trying to stay, I mean, I'll fill in the blank in many ways. I'm trying to stay strong as I get older because blah, blah, blah. That might be one reason. I'm trying to be a better athlete. That might be another reason. What was the actual connection there? But man, the part that I started smiling at was talking, going up the stairs. So my wife and I just moved into this new house a couple months ago. And there are, let's see, there's 16 stairs there. And there's, so it's about 30 stairs to get from the basement to the top floor. And I've been playing with the fact that there's two ways to go upstairs and no one ever talked about this. You're the first person I've ever heard say it of lunging versus squatting. And I don't think people, I'm going to bet that most people haven't tried the glute version of walking upstairs, yes. which oh my God, you, now you make David smile because that's, that's like the foundation to so many things we've yeah. developed. Is that. So then, then here that I'm going to let you describe the difference and how you would talk about that. So uh, going back to technique, if what we like, we're, we're kind of those people that lurk at the bottom of a staircase and watch people go up and down staircases. I learned more about movement standing at children's playgrounds and bottom of stair stairwells with David. And it's like, every time we talk about that, my yeah. kids are always like, that's really creepy, but the well, learning. <laughs> no, it's actually the creepiest. If it's just David sitting just far. That's what I said. If I'm there, it's okay. Right. <laughs> So, I just, I just want to say something before David continues with this is one of the things about walking stairs or anything future proofing, which is one of our signature learning labs and courses that we do in person and online actually has a whole component in it that is just about flighting, going up and down the stairs and we teach it. And there are more aha moments for people because David focuses yeah. on how to walk the stairs properly and not just for stair walking, but how that translates into running. Oh, absolutely. Well, and okay, I'm going to let you do this, but I mean, I can't say this. The thing that I was really paying attention to this weekend is if you walk in a different way or go up the stairs in a different way than most people go upstairs, it's actually simulating running. And then it started, I started thinking, because uh, here, I'll give you the whole story. I had just done a set rear foot elevated split squats, or as many people call them, Bulgarian split squats. And there's different ways of doing that. Some that emphasize the glutes, some that emphasize the quads. So I was doing the glute version and I was realizing that and I do that exercise because a lot of sprinting coaches recommend it. And of course, I'm trying to be a better sprinter. There's part of my why. But when I started going up the stairs using the, let's call it the sprinting version of going upstairs, that I realized I didn't need to do most of what I was doing in the Bulgarian split squat, because the part that was most relevant for running is just that top quarter to third 
of the range of motion, which is what happens when I was doing stairs. Anyway, so I, so I'm loving this because this is basically where my brain was going all weekend, but David, back to you for the win. So talk about the different ways of climbing stairs that most people have never thought of. And frankly, if I knew we were going to go in this direction, I would have started the, the podcast with an intro saying, you don't know how to climb stairs because that will make people go, what? Um, and in fact, I might even re-record and I'm not going to re-record it because now I just said that, but so talk about the different ways of climbing stairs. So first, I'd like to preface this by saying that we teach a 30-minute class once a week, and it's called Exercise Snacks. And essentially, what we do is we take something as simple as a push-up or a lunge, and we spend 30 minutes on it talking about its functionality, its applicability, and all this sort of stuff. The why. Yeah, the why. Right. So uh, back to what you were saying about stairs. The most important thing when, when the body is moving is posture. That's the most important thing. And the second most important thing when we're moving is technique. So technique needs to be functional or it's going to be uh, degenerative as opposed to regenerative. So understanding that the, the glute is the primary source of thrust, whether you're walking, jumping, climbing, doing stairs, going upstairs. So understanding that what people do is the body is really interesting because we are the ultimate energy conservation machine. And we do that because of our history of needing energy bursts when we're under attack by a, a wild mountain lion or something like that. So we haven't lost that energy conservation uh, property. And so what we have to do is to a degree, we have to override that and we have to teach our body to move right the proper way with good technique, good posture, even though the body would default to an energy conservation way of going up the stairs. So what we've noticed, Lisa and I, by watching people is they tend, instead of to standing upright, they tend to lean from the hip. So they've got this forward lean in the upper body. And what that does is it causes them to default to the quad as the primary source of energy uh, recruitment going up the stairs. And they abandon the glute. They literally abandon the glute. And so what happens when you do something like that is it starts to progress. And even though it feels good initially, it becomes degenerative and then your body eventually starts to fall apart. And then you need to pull yourself up with the railing. You need to um, shift your body weight. Um, there's all kinds of things that happen. There's all like, there's all kinds of things that happen that are degenerative that cause you to be worse and worse in terms of posture and technique. So teaching people to observe good posture runners. So you would know this as a sprinter, you're, you're always focused to some degree on, to a large degree on the posture. And then the technique comes in to support the posture. And then you have that further dive into the recruitment of specific muscles to get the job done, that thrust from the hip. So it really is about, like, I mean, I have to go back to posture when I'm talking about anything to anyone when it comes to the human body. Is your posture intact? Have you lost your posture? And then the technique specific to what it is that you're doing. If you're going up the stairs, your, your posture should really be fairly upright and you should be thrusting as your primary movement. It should come from an extension of the hip and everything else is secondary to that. And the reason being is that the closer you are to the body's core, that's where your power is. And the further you go in, in periphery, you still have power to recruit, but it's secondary tertiary power and it's not as powerful as your primary power. So if I, so to give people a, um, a sense of how to play with this when they're going home, or maybe they're listening to this and they can be walking upstairs as they do this, that 
uh, I'm going to tell you the way I experienced it and, you know, add, add a correction for it. So one, it was occurring to me, like if you do lean a little forward and you're thinking about just pushing down on the stairs, it's kind of like a bad version of a, being on a leg press machine. Um, you know, you're, because you're not on a leg press machine, your back is supported at least, and you're consciously working on your quads. But when you're doing the kind of pushing down version, um, you don't have that same kind of support. You're putting more stress on your knee. I was noticing um, and the other version, like you're saying, is if you think about lying down for people who've done a hip thrust, you're lying on your back, you bend your knees so your, your heels are coming closer to your butt. And then you think about um, moving your butt up in the air. And yeah. you can actually walk upstairs by doing that same kind of motion. Yes. Granted, it can look a little odd at first or it can feel a little odd at first, but you feel that you're going up the stairs by driving your heel backwards in a way and extending your hip forward. I mean, it's like yeah. doing a hip thrust while you're walking. That was the way I was playing with it. Would you add any corrections to that for people who want to experience? No, that's one of the, we have what we call the butt lift and funny enough in stack conditioning in we this half hour class. We rename a lot of things. So we actually call stair walking flighting <laughs> and we try and do that. That's the marketing side of me where it's, yeah. and if we unpackage it and reserve it to you under a different name, people, you know, we just want you to pay attention. It's right. trying to manipulate you to pay attention in a positive way for your own good. Yeah. <laughs> so we do use the, the butt lift to, um, first of all, cause a neuroplastic effect between the brain and the, the firing muscle and then get people to close their eyes and envision them using the same muscle, same movement pattern, um, not necessarily going up and down a flight of stairs, but just climbing up a hill. Right. Same or, thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's essentially the same thing. So that's the, um, I guess that's a great bridge. The, the butt lift or the, uh, the glute thrust is for us, it's a primary way to get people to dial in from the brain. So that neuroplastic effect, and then take it into a functional applicable um, situation. And you said that it looks kind of funny, but we've done this a lot. We've had, we've taken a lot of people through the future proofing course with this one module where we're focused on glute activation to get people to climb stairs. And this is a big light bulb moment for a lot of people because they recognize how much more stable they are, how much more power they have, oh, yeah. their knees stop so that stress that you were talking about on the knee that's eventually going to lead to knee pain right and so by transferring the uh, energy to the glute and removing it from the quad and the knee there's immediate uh, pain relief it's immediate yeah. and that's and that's we found that for you know high performance athletes mm -hmm. that we're working with but we've also found it for people in their 70s who are just mm -hmm. looking to you know, that's the name future proofing. So essentially we all begin aging the yeah. moment we're born. So teaching these things early on, or it, it's amazing what effect for at the beginning, when we started working together, I was more helping David package his brilliance. And so I had the great fortune of sort of micromanaging him from the back of the room. When he Which he still teaching. does, by the way. Still do. Um, <laughs> and, got you, David. Come yeah, on. exactly. But we were in New York doing future proofing yeah. and we were in like a stairwell um, in a building in New York walking stairs. And it was amazing that everyone from, you know, yoga teacher had been teaching for 20 years, um, an athlete, somebody who actually was in immense pain. Uh, someone who was seven months pregnant were all in our workshop and David had, they all had a connection yeah. to walking the stairs with David. It was just that simple. So it's just, it's with Steve, David. it's just about understanding how the body moves. Right. And respecting that when you're teaching people how to move. It's interesting to me that 
we have, I say we, but I want to qualify that because it's, let's say certainly Americans and most Western people, we've learned to move, we've adopted movement patterns that could not be less efficient. And then what partly what you're talking about is define discovering efficiency, which is very satisfying. I mean, like feel, you know, using your glutes to walk upstairs, there's something about it that feels right. It feels good. But I'm curious, like, you know, why is it that we adopted these wacky patterns to begin with? Because you go to other parts of the world where they have not done what we've done. Mm -hmm. So what the hell happened? So it's about conserving energy and it's about the body's natural tendency to do to find the easiest way possible, even if it has long-term detrimental effect on the body. Got it. Um, And I think if you couple that with us being the abundance of sedentary time that we spend, like lying on a sofa or slouched in a chair, looking at a phone, we... Yeah. And I was going to say, that's just, David always talks about when, again, when we started working together, that idea that we move Western so in such the sagittal plane and movement are so linear. Right. And that just, you know, it ends up compromising all of that, you know, full spectrum and multi-dimension. And that's what wellness intelligence is all about, that multi-dimension. So it's it's actually expanding beyond linear. So if you're always wearing shoes with lots of support and walking in a straight line on a sidewalk, mm-hmm. how are you going to have, you're going to, yeah. so much is going to be compromised over time. Um, so we've become really lazy because... Um, as Lisa was saying, there's, there's so much convenience built into our lives in North America. Which is like the opposite yeah. of convenience, right? right. And everything right. is in, in the sagittal plane. So we call them orthotic. So every time something comes in and it makes things easier for you, we've termed that an orthotic. Mm. And we recognize the detriment of something coming in and robbing us of our natural responsibility to do something. I, I, when I put your saddle on for the first time, One of the things that happened, which excited me to a really high level was my brain lit up. So it wasn't even about the shoe. It was about my brain going, holy shit, what's going on? Yeah. And I knew that that was the critical, that's the critical element. I watched it happen. I was like, he's buying those and three more pairs. Yeah. And I tried (laughs) to buy a second pair because I like to have a pair sitting in the closet in case, but um, just the whole idea that we've become so lazy in our brains because of all of the stuff that's been thrown at us, we have to challenge ourselves to be more cerebral again. So we slouch. And I have to, even myself, knowing what I know, every once in a while, I have to do this and I have to get myself back into a position that I know is good for my posture. It's functional. Um, I know that it's not going to have any long-term detrimental effects. And if I have to do this on a daily basis, multiple times, then I know with my connection, then I know that people that are disconnected, they really don't stand a chance mm. uh, because they're they're operating in a state of disconnect. And not to bring food back yeah. into it, but since that's obviously mm. something that I'm obsessed with, it's like taking a pill when you can get, you can cook a meal and get those nutrients mm. from food. You know, so, it's so funny you mentioned food. Um, I've been, well, yeah, me too, actually (laughs) started during COVID where I started cooking more. Thank you, YouTube. Um, I, I had this very interesting sort of melancholic effect when I started cooking more because I realized I could have been doing this for the 30 years previous and I just didn't know how, and it's really not that hard. And so that was sort of, you know, in a way like feeling opportunity cost that was lost. But the more interesting thing is, um, that I've gotten, how do I want to put this? 
the difference between taking a pill and cooking food, there's also a difference between cooking food and making food. And so last week I started making pasta for the first time and it takes an extra 20 minutes to a half an hour. And I love doing it so much. The satisfaction from spending that extra energy and frankly, it tastes much better as well. It's the, the joy factor. So there's your why too, That's right? Yeah. That's your why. It's and you know, and I also have the added bonus. I always make enough so that my wife has leftovers for lunch the next day. That makes me very happy too. She does not complain either. Um, so you know, that that added bonus of doing things that may be less quote convenient, but the satisfaction component just can go through the roof. So, so that understanding, Steve, we talk about lateral shift. And we believe that if you understand something and you're, you could consider yourself a, an expert pasta maker now, you can take that same kind of cerebral expertise and laterally shift it to movement or laterally shift it to anything well, I, else. Well, ironically, it kind of goes, I mean, th this made me think when I started doing this, it made me think of customers of ours who originally bought our do-it-yourself sandal kit. And I met this one guy who said, you know, I haven't actually even bought your do-it-yourself kit. I watched your videos about how to do it. And then I went and did it myself. And once I realized I could make my own footwear, I started repairing my car, repairing appliances in my house. That's you know, it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and that's the exciting thing about or what we think is exciting about what we're doing is we're not trying to rope people in to come and take our courses and, and keep coming back multiple times a week. It's more, we're here. And if we do a good job, it's really simple. Like that's, you know, it's so simple that we're here to hold your hand. We're here to teach. We're here to impart. We're here with the resources. But if we do a good job, we're redundant. Like you're going to be able to then take it and you can teach it. Yeah. So you can teach it and so transfer that, it to everything. And that's critical because the whole idea of, of teaching from a place of redundancy causes you not to want to create a situation where people are dependent on you. Yeah. So a needy situation. So I guess I, I learned a long time ago in my profession that there were enough people in this world that I could deliver information, enough information to make people independent of me and they could move on. And those who chose to stay for long periods of time, it was like having a, a good friend. Mm. So it was just, it was like being in a good relationship. So, you know, when we started working together as well, I really wanted to do this like fast workout because as an entrepreneur and busy mom, and I was like, but, you know, instead of this whole one hour having to go to the gym and wear certain clothes and be in a certain room, it's that efficiency again, but efficiency in a good way. And David kept refusing. He's like, I will not do it because I will not fix somebody into certain movements. So there's the four minute workout. There's the seven minute workout. Right. But then people are only going to be practicing the four minute those minutes. moves thinking that's a solution. That's still a magic pill, right? right? That's still that, mm -hmm. that thing. And so now what we came up with is something called stack conditioning, which is basically taking series of exercise snacks. So we teach one exercise snack every week. We teach it well, and David teaches like imparts this all of the the why and the how, so you have it sound, and then you take it into the rest of your life. And so whether you're taking that to sprinting, or you're taking that to the gym, it's amazing. I said to David, or the staircase, you yeah. can build your own four minute workout because you have all the components to do it. We teach you when to stack it into your day, so it's actually something that's convenient, so you can do it when you're boiling water or before you sit back down at your desk, and 
you realize so quickly that you need no prerequisite to be right. a center or go into the gym and do a class. And so when you go into a hit class, you're doing 30 moves or whatever it is in one class, we've broken that down. Yeah. And now David has the opportunity to teach that. And when we notice is the people that are doing those exercise snaps come yeah. into our full workouts and it's amazing how they move yeah. so, so mindfully and well. Steve, the whole idea of metabolic hibernation, this business of being lazy, um, we've like you, you've heard of dead butt syndrome. Yeah. So the idea of when you're sitting, there's zero glute activity. So if you get up and you go to the bathroom and before you sit back down, get on the floor and do 10 hip thrusts, or we call them butt lifts. That's all you have to do. It takes 20 seconds. Yeah. So what you're doing is you're pulling the body out of metabolic hibernation, but not only that, there's a cerebral thing going on too. And that's why I was so excited when I put your shoes on, because my feet recognized right away that something magic was happening. But my brain, the fact that it lit up and, and it was telling me, oh, you can't do this anymore. You can't walk heavy heel. You can't overstride. You can't do all these things. So it was, it was actually, it was policing me back to a place of good posture and a place of good technique. So that like this, this idea of coaching. So your, your shoe, when I put it on or your saddle, when I put it on, it immediately started to coach me. And because I operate from that place of mindfulness, I was, it resonated with me straight away. Yeah. Well, you know, I love what you pointed out and sorry, I don't, I don't remember the exact language you used for doing about, about integrating these things into your day um, for a couple of reasons. One is that it means that you don't have to spend a block of time pulling yourself out of your day. But the other thing kind of, kind of um, uh, coincidentally, I was just reading uh, some research about interval training. And one of the things they found is the most, one of the most successful forms of interval training is doing like a four to 10 second burst, 10 to 15 times throughout your day, run up a flight of stairs instead of walk up a flight of stairs, run yes. to the bathroom instead of walk to the bathroom when you don't have to run to the bathroom for other reasons. Um, you know, all <laughs> these like little things that you can inject into your day that are very normal um, can be much more beneficial than doing like a 30 minute workout. We um, have, that's, yeah. that's what, so we say it's like all of our programming, it's based on science, but it's also based on experience. Yeah. And it has to feel good. Yeah. So it has to feel good and make sense, which goes back to what you brought up originally, the people that even if they're skeptical, that sort of trust us. So they're showing up because they believe in us and it's contagious. They realize over time, and it can take various amounts of time that like, oh, I don't need the metrics actually. Right. And that's where they feel that freedom rather. And, and where we stop feeling the struggle that people are like, but how many? How, well, how many ounces of water am I supposed to drink to be hydrated? Instead, right. we come up with a protocol called the waterfall and we teach, you know, give permission. And then you see that. Well, hold on, hold on. When did being hydrated become a thing? When did it become having to be hydrated instead of, hey, I'm thirsty? Uh, that's a whole, we can dive into that, but that, let's not. I want to back up to something uh, much more entertaining. So when you're being creepy, hanging out in, uh, in playgrounds, what are you observing? <laughs> <laughs> what do you notice watching kids? I'm sorry. What we notice when we watch children? No, let's just say more, uh, more entertaining. I'll, I'll start, David. So, yeah, so when, when you're being creepy in a playground, what are you watching yeah. kids do? <laughs> That's where you, well, my brain froze when you said. <laughs> he was like, wait, what? <laughs> the first thing I'll say before David gets into the technical stuff that he will be able to talk to more is, first of all, the joy. 
Yes. First of all, joy. So the joy and movement, the excitement, and they do not move in a straight line. They ever, do not move in a straight ever. line yeah. ever. Yeah. And their gait still north. There's lots of things, but really the joy and not moving in the straight line mm. is it's that's such a life lesson for us. Yeah. So the whole idea of straight lines too, in nature, human beings are the only species that's that's um married to moving in a straight line. Mm. So there's no straight lines yeah, in nature. That's, that's right. right. There's no straight yeah. lines in nature. Yeah. Just the ones that humans create. I'm playing with that in my head. I'm going okay. to electromagnetism, but that's a whole other story. So yes, yes but, that is a whole other story. But if, but if we don't get if we don't get too yeah. out, so, yeah, no, it's children, true. so the the idea of children. So as Lisa was saying, multidimensional. So they use lateral and diagonal, and they're always in rotation, and they're up and they're down. So they use full spectrum movement. And that's, I guess I, being 62, I wonder when I stopped or s- started to, s- to lose that. Hmm. And um, for me, it was like, I mean, I had very varying periods of time. So for example, when I turned 40, I decided that I was going to learn how to teach yoga. And I was going to add that because it just seemed from a marketing perspective and keeping myself professionally viable, it was something that I factored in. And so that was a professional decision, not realizing that the implications of bringing yoga into my life as a 40 year old, were going to completely redefine the way I lived in my body. Mm. So it was just, it's, um, but being on the playground, it's just, it's, I guess it's the beginner's mind when we try to get adults or older people to operate with a beginner's mind. So try doing this from a place where you, it's the, you would almost feel like it's the very first time that you've done it. So when children move, they move with beginner's mind. And when a child doesn't move that way, it's because adults have already tried to stamp movement into them. For example, if you're holding your child's hand and expecting your child to keep up with you, the child is going to be moving in a straight line and they're going to start to overstride because they're being forced to keep up with you. But if you were to let go of the child's hand, he would be in front of you, behind you, in the ditch, climbing the tree, 50 feet ahead, 20 yeah. feet behind. So that's the thing about that magic of, of childlike activity. Um, one of the things that I find incredibly attractive in some adults is that they haven't lost that childlike behavior. And you must know people like that. Um, and Like him. Yeah. When, like- when did we lose... When did we lose that childlike behavior? Just, just because I'm prone to jumping over things or going around things or using things as ways. Yeah. Um, well, I, and I think of it as, you know, post gymnast behavior. It's like, yeah. I see things as, as um, tools to play with or on. Mm-hmm. I'm also, I've joked with my wife, we don't have children. And I said, um, we were in a restaurant once and there was some kids who were jumping up and down on the, the bench, padded bench. And the parents were saying, hey, stop jumping up and down. And I said, see, that's the difference between them and me. If I were a parent, I'd be saying, stop jumping up and down. The springs are better on this bench over here, you idiot. <laughs> so yes. you know, it's like, look for the thing where it's more entertaining. And, but to your point, you know, the first thing about seeing kids is the fun factor. Like mm-hmm. I see kids mostly when I'm on the track and they're there because their parents have dragged them along and they're doing three things. They run with this weird look on their face. That's called um, smiling. 
And, yeah. um, and then they do it till they're in the mood to stop. And then they stop and then they get back up when they're in the mood and they don't run in a straight line in part, because I mean, these are little kids. And so their heads are so big that they, if their head leans just a little bit in one direction or another, they have no choice, but to follow their head, which is something that I, when I teach people about running barefoot, that's what I have them do. It's like, leave your arms hanging by your side, lean your head, try to follow your head and don't let yourself catch up. And do it until you don't care if the people around you see that you're doing this, because frankly, they don't know who you are. They'll never see you again. They don't care. But also we do this in a group. And this leads me to something I've been curious to ask you about, which is the communal aspect of things, because um, backing up to, you know, like if it's not fun, you, you won't keep doing it. I've also found that if you don't have some kind of community, and that can just be one other person, that's also going to dramatically increase your chances of stopping as well. Can yeah. you chat about your experience with that? So I guess it goes back to an understanding of the pyramid of life. And what sits at the very top of the pyramid is the physiological warmth of another human being. Mm. And it doesn't need to be an embrace, but just being in your company and experiencing um, heart energy. We have this energetic um, heart expression, or it can be, it's just the idea, like we've had many discussions, Lisa and I, about post-COVID return to community environments. And a lot of people don't think that it's going to happen. Yeah. And I realize that it has to happen in order for us to be healthy human beings, functioning human beings. We need that physiological warmth of the presence of other human beings in our life. Our lives depend on it. So in a lot of our programming, um, prior to COVID, we were just teaching workshops yeah. and there was an aspect of community, you know, that gathering and learning yeah. together. We were doing sessions of something called the off-road speed play, which is, as you say, look ridiculous. That's fine, but it's just walking and running on, on trails. Right. Um, we add multidimensional movement into anything. So we add skipping in because you can't skip and not smile. So when you yeah. smile, everything good happens or squats or lunges, side side squats and sidesteps, all these things. And it's, we've taught people. So people who work with us always say, people look at me like I'm crazy when yeah. I'm walking. So even if they're doing it on their own, they feel a sense of community when they're doing it because yeah. they got it in community. So that's right. fun. And we also created this virtual community, which is free to join but what we ask is that you care. It has to be for mm. people that care. There's no gimmicks. And the magic that happens in our online community, yeah. just because they're nice people who want to be in community. And although we, hopefully, we impart things of great value and host it well, it's all the members that are adding to it. So everybody has the chance to communicate with each other. We're not We're not right. We're not authorities on everything. We enjoyed that you're in there and that you, your company or, you know, Danny's like, there's so many people that are in there that really care about helping each other and everyone brings their own bit. So being in community where there's, and yesterday we did a, an Akira 360 workout in the park with members from the community who are in Toronto, which is where we are. And people were off the charts, happy just to be gathering, yeah. gathering. So yeah, it's yeah, it's, I remember um, when I was in high school uh, and I was training as a gymnast, we did a lot of weightlifting and strength training exercises for gymnastics. And I started writing a, a fitness book. And the first chapter was find a partner because mm -hmm. you'll, you won't be able to do this. Otherwise there's times yeah. where it just, you wake up and you're just, just not in the mood and forcing yourself isn't fun, but being encouraged because there's someone on the other end of the phone saying, see at nine o'clock, 
It's like, yeah. all right. And in, in, and even if you show up not really ready to play by the end of it, it's like, uh, I mean, the number of times that my training partners and I have said to each other, I'm so glad you came out because otherwise yeah. I would have stayed home. And I think we are discovering different ways of doing that post COVID. And it'll be interesting to see how that evolves as um, the world changes as a result of yeah. all of this. So there's such a difference too, between, I mean, community is community and that can be yeah. like David said, connection, yeah. but what you just said, like motivation and accountability yeah. is one of the biggest gifts that you can offer someone else. And, and we have that built in with each other, which is such a gift. I got to tell you, I, I never thought of this before. I realized I hate the word accountability. Why is that? Because in a way it seems like um, a what's the word I'm looking for? A kind of arbitrary kind of peer pressure rather than a mm, encouragement. It sounds like, you know, I'm setting you up to make me accountable, which is putting you in a bad position um, because it makes me see you in a way as a, not quite an enemy, but someone who's pushing me in a way that I'm not enjoying. I guess, um, yeah, I guess that's a neat reflection, but maybe it's like, so it's your point is, I guess when we talk about accountability, it's like yeah. almost like self-empowerment. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I, I, I get that. No, is that what you're talking like that feeling, well, right? I get that version, but I mean, I like, I mean, even motivation is I'm not like, I don't, I get asked often as a, as an entrepreneur who's been doing this for a long time, they go, how do you get yourself motivated? I go, I don't know what you're talking about. Right. I don't do something to quote, get motivated to then take action back to the beginning of this. There's a reason why I need to take action. And if I'm aware of that, I'm going to do it. Now that said, some days, like it's harder to get out of bed than others. But what I respond to is the kind of encouragement for that camaraderie, that encouragement to do something rather than I'm hypersensitive to this. Anything that feels like I'm trying to artificially alter my state of whatever in order Absolutely. to then do something. I know that if I just get there and start training, even if I felt like crap that morning, within a few minutes, I'm going to feel okay. When I used to live in New York City and I rode my bicycle in the winter for seven miles to get to school, you know, I knew those first few blocks were going to feel like crap. It's freezing. It's wet. I didn't have enough protective clothing, but I know halfway through, I'm going to be stripping off layers and I'll be in short pants and, you know, a hat and gloves and people will think I'm crazy and I'm the one having fun. Right. So, you know, again, there's, it's a subtle little thing where that I, I, again, I haven't really taken a dive into it, but I think things like, and I'm not, I know that you're framing this differently. So I'm just kind of ranting for a second. So bear with me, like doing something to motivate yourself, doing something to be held accountable. That phrase held accountable has this yeah. kind of burdensome component to it. And I, I, in the way that you've come up with other language for movements, I think we need to really explore the language of what yeah. gets us out of bed and do it. I was just going to say that because I mean, when you say that as an entrepreneur, I started my business in 1994 and there's not been a day that's like, I'm not motivated in some way, but it's like an inside thing. It's not, I don't do anything to get motivated. I don't have yeah. activities or things I, I, that resonates with me. And we have a lexicon. Yeah. We've called it like a lexicon because we make up words for everything, as you said. Yeah. And so you've just, you've just inspired yeah. a whole other. So Steve, one of the things is that um, you're what I term the less than 1%. So you're less than 1% of the population who is, who has exacted the skill of motivating the self. So what we need to do now is we need to figure out how to teach other people to do the same thing. So that's one of the things that Lisa and I do. We create the conditions to bring people to a place where they become self-motivating. 
Mm. Right back to the beginning, yeah. right? Like you're saying, yeah. we create the conditions yeah. so you care, so you don't need metrics, so you can be your own best yeah. expert. So I understand what you're saying, and I, I, I appreciate it. But then I, in turn, I challenge you to figure out how to give this gift that you've developed within yourself, offer it up to others so that it actually empowers other people to be just as self-motivating as you are. Dude, I got shoes to sell. Cut me a break. I'm curious. <laughs> but that's part of the thing. That's part of the Listen, sales tech. I know, I know. The whole idea of wearing your shoes. Oh my gosh. Well, the it's, average person would not wear your shoes. Well, actually, the average person can and does. It's um, that's a whole other story. But it, yeah. it, it, it's a really interesting point. It goes back to I think what we were saying before. There are a couple of things. One is the you know why do you want to do it? If you have a, a reason, that's a big chunk. And the reason can be let's call it semi-external. Like I was talking to Lena about this recently, and I said the previous businesses that I've done, or almost everything that I've done, there was a certain kind of self-absorption. Like I did it because I was interested in it, but I wasn't interested in the bigger picture. Like as a sprinter, I don't follow sprinting and track and field the way many people do. I do it because I like doing it. When I was a gymnast, the same thing. I didn't follow gymnastics as much as I did gymnastics. Even when I was doing stand-up comedy, I wasn't part of the cool kids crowd. I did what I wanted to do in that. So when it comes to health and fitness, you know, part of it is doing that I've got a reason that's my thing for doing it. But there's another part that I don't know how to articulate quite, I was thinking about this this weekend as well, is that part of the process is not is getting over the idea of what it means when you have that why. And what I'm talking about specifically is there's some days where I wake up and I go, you know, it's just not there. And I really need to let myself do nothing today without mm-hmm. thinking that I should be doing something more or different. That's right. And that's, I mean, when we talk about wellness intelligence, that's where we landed. And even though it's abstract to a lot of people, we, we say that it's just wellness intelligence gives you the ability. So whatever that is, but it's giving you the ability to make the right decisions, yeah. take the right actions for yourself, like in conscious pursuit of the right things, but in that moment. So it's just about doing the next right thing, which could be about pausing. Doing nothing. Yeah. Taking doing nothing. Resting. There's beauty. In, there's beauty in knowing that, right? Yeah. Resting is not my norm. Well, I mean, I, I joke that as a sprinter, I, I'm typically lazy uh, as many of us are like sprinters. We finish our workouts in the time that most people take to warm up for theirs. So, but the, in fact, kind of this weekend was apparently a big weekend in my brain on one of the mornings. I don't remember which I deliberately was sitting in a chair the sun had just come up. It was like 6.30 in the morning. And I just sat there thinking of all the things that I, quote, needed to get done that day. And I deliberately did not do them for an hour. I went, okay, uh, yeah, that would normally get me out of my chair. Not going to do it. That other thing would normally get me out of my chair. Not moving. And it was really, really delightful, not just because it was pleasant to sit there, but it was really helpful for me to not be pulled by all those seeming requirements of my day. And then I went and did them when I got around to doing them at all. That's empowering in itself. I guess I have that, you know, as an entrepreneur mindset, right? You could be like, I'm so curious and willing to do and eager all the time. And so it's, David taught me, it's like much more about stillness. And it's amazing how you empower yourself just in that. And the idea of giving yourself permission too. So you gave yourself permission to sit there for an hour. 
Yeah, it was fun. Don't do that. Speaking of sitting here for an hour, we've been doing this for almost an hour, and we never got around to the thing that I teased at the very beginning of this, which is people with back pain and what the real thing to pay attention to is if you have back pain. And I would be remiss and an idiot if I didn't jump into that now and let's have that part of the conversation because you're the ones who inspired it. So do you want to talk about um, the real thing to address when people are having back stuff while I take a drink? Okay. I want to say, I want to give my quick answer. Okay. Everything's connected. So if you focus just on your back, when you have back pain, I think that's the first issue that we need to dispel. Now yeah. you can talk about the back. <laughs> um, okay. That, that's a big question. So I'm going to s- start by going back to the hip. So the hip is the primary, uh, its primary purpose is to locomote the body. But as Lisa was saying, everything's connected. So if your hip is unstable or weak, it's going to refer upwards and it's going to create instability and weakness above it. And it's going to refer down. So for example, the whole idea of knee pain, unless you've experienced blunt force trauma to your knee, almost all of the knee pain that we experience comes from an unstable hip. Interesting. So the same thing. We don't want to interject though. Yes. Blunt force trauma. So most people, when they're running in particular, walking as well, but not as much running. Definitely. If you are overstriding, reaching out and landing with your foot too far in front of your body and landing on your heel, that is causing blunt force trauma into the knee. That's right. There's a lot of research showing this with animals. You can't do this with humans where they just keep the knee relatively straight. They did this with rabbits for some reason, and then just percuss the heel and it puts force right into the knee joint and causes osteoarthritis. Yes. And um, Dr. uh, Isabel Sacco in Brazil did the opposite where she took elderly women, put them in minimalist footwear and just had them walking. And by letting their body use itself more naturally, their knee osteoarthritis went away or was reduced. So there's blunt force trauma that people don't know they're giving themselves, but be that as as it may, uh, that's a bit of a tangent from working on the hip, moving to the back of the knee. Yeah. So the same thing, the same rule would apply upwards as well. So above the hip, you have the spine and the spine, it it feeds down into the pelvis. So there's, there's actually that floating connection there. So if you have this instability in the primary mover in your body, it's going to destabilize. And then there's the, like, I mean, that's just one of the things, the, the whole idea of, of connection to breath Mm. and breath's connection to intrathoracic pressure stability, the transverse abdominis, how it has that dual purpose of stabilizing the spine and creating power. You know, when you, so for example, a good, a good example would be a tennis player when they hit the ball and they make that grunting sound, it's called the Valsalva maneuver. And that whole idea of stabilizing the hip and making sure that it's strong, referring up into the spine, and then coupling that with breathing in such a way that your breath actually it enhances stabilization of the spine. Humans are really interesting in that we can breathe at will. And if you look at the lower animals like horses or anything that's a quadruped, they have to breathe relative to movement. So when my, so a quadruped, when their front feet hit the ground and the back end comes up, the internal organs shift forward and they cause exhale because they press the air out of the lungs. And then when the back feet hit the ground and the front feet come up, there's that forward thrust that causes the, organs to shift backwards, creating space for the lungs to inhale. Mm. So if you're, uh, we have a horse. I I was going to say, just to qualify, not only have we learned movement from watching children and playgrounds, but also Akira, as in the Akira concept, is David's four-year-old horse. Got it. And he grew up with animals. So that's why he can talk about that. So what's really interesting is that 
the quadrupeds are married to movement. Their breath is married to movement. Whereas human beings, because we're upright and our lungs are free, we can breathe at will. So you can sit there and you can speed your breath up if you want, or you can slow it down. A quadruped can't do that. So um, where was I going with this? The connection of breath and breathing muscles, the muscles that have dual function, they breathe and they create thoracic stability, like tennis players. So running as well. I, I challenge you, if you haven't made this connection already, to pay attention to your breathing when you're going to do something that's strenuous. I'm sure as a runner, you've exacted, whether it's intuitively or on purpose, what you've exacted the ability to breathe, to maximize your speed. So I'm breathing in such a way that it maximum. I'm aware of my breathing. Like in a hundred meters, um, you basically, uh, well, Olympic level runners um, do this differently than someone my age, but I basically get, I think like four breaths, maybe five. Yeah. So there's uh, exhale kind of using the Valsalva maneuver in the dry phase and getting out of the blocks in that initial drive. Yeah, of course. And then I'm very aware that when I f- need to breathe subsequent to that, I try to make, I try to use it in a way that is encouraging applying more force that is encouraging movement. Um, When I'm in the rare time when I'm running slowly, if I'm jogging, for example, the thing that I pay attention to is um, having my breathing pattern be off center, if you will. So basically I'm breathing in an, uh, for an odd number of steps. So every time I start an inhale is on the other yeah. foot each time. So I start an inhale, my right foot, the next inhale starts on my left foot. When it hits the ground, those are the things that I pay attention to there. So one of the things that you can do, Steve, is you can also use your breathing muscles as a primary source of stabilization, as opposed yeah, yeah, yeah. to breathing, yeah. which so is pretty cool. And yeah. that's going back to back pain and yeah. breath. Right. Um, I'd been cycling for a long time. I'd worked with trainers. I doing indoor cycling. Um, and loving it. And my connection, because of how David taught bedrock breathing, my core breath connection actually stabilized my back. And I'm going to say that I never equated it being young. I never equated it to back pain or injury, but it was amazing that when I, you know, I always thought of it as stress. Like a lot of us, it's like you work out and you have that pain. It's like that good pain because you think you've done something. And I realized that Oh my goodness. Like I was putting stress on my back because I was not as connected to my core breath connection, which also affects posture, which also affects the tension in your shoulders. And it also going back to back pain. So that's why I said at the beginning, but it's, everything's connected. If you have back pain, it's again, it's, you have to look big picture. There's so many things that start with, I don't know, the food you eat, your nervous system, how hydrated you are, the footwear you're wearing, like all of those things can matter. And it's amazing. You don't need to dive deep into one narrow kind of trying to fix back pain. You can yeah, go not, pretty wide. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm not a doctor and don't play one on the podcast or the internet, but um, I will toss out that we've had so many people. I mean, I have a broken spine, basically. I have an L5S1 spondylolisthesis with a pars defect and basically no disc anymore. My doctors don't understand how I lift weights at all, let alone how I sprint. But a lot of it did have to do with discovering um, how breathing works in that as well. And of course, getting out of regular, quote, regular footwear. We have so many people who have talked about how getting out of padded, elevated heel, motion control shoes, et cetera, um, have eliminated their back pain. Can you talk about the, and and yes, everything is connected. Let's go all the way down to the bottom. Do you want to talk about the connection between feet and back pain? So, um, okay. Feet and back pain, footfall, 
like you were talking about blunt force trauma. So the idea of the heel strike, there's nothing in the foot, in the heel of the foot that's designed to take impact. So if you look at like you're, you're a four foot runner or midfoot runner, so you would understand this. So the idea of landing on the foot where the absorptive properties are, so the forefoot spreads and then it, it retracts. Uh, the idea of landing on the outside of the foot and rolling into the inside of the foot. So just understanding that if you overstride or if you're lazy and your heel is the first part of your body to hit the ground, that there is there are no absorptive properties. So that refers up the chain. So when I assess people running, if I see heel strike, I know that there's probably some sort of knee, hip, back issue associated with that. And it's interesting that so just the idea of shortening the stride, Lisa and I have many, many conversations about stride length and footfall and all of these things and how they translate up the chain. We have been bombarded by the idea that everything is connected in everything we do. And that's why when I first met Lisa, I believed that the body was the primary focus and that food was a secondary thing. And what I've learned over time is that my body cannot operate maximally or efficiently without me honoring food to the same degree that I honor the body. Mm. And so we have eight dimensions that we honor relative to that. We've so, and um, so what going are, back to, but also yeah. going back to the foot, our future proofing program, for example, we have one module that is just foot health. Yeah. And obviously there are people who do lots on foot health. Yeah. Um, and they, you know, hours and hours and hours, and we do something basic, but the aha moments where people, you know, we're really disconnected from our feet too. We yeah. sit with them. So it's amazing that we tell people, it's like, number one, spend as much time barefoot as you can. Yeah. Like that's, it, there's, there's things we're not selling anything. There's, there's no magic bullet here. There's no pellets. It's be barefoot. We teach a certain um, self-reflexology. We have like cork foot massage balls that we teach a certain massage to that you can keep underneath your dining room table or your desk and all of those things. And when we have our conversation in wellness intelligence through our platform, you know, we've paired you with uh, Danny Dreyer from Chi Running and Erica Wheeland, who's a reflexologist for a reason because connection to feet like that's yeah. your first point of contact that's your grounding that's and you know you made the comment about hydration like when did that become a thing so we say there's in stack conditioning in our program we say there's three things that are always and one is get outside and two is you have to breathe and three is you have to hydrate and then you layer everything else on top of that and and being barefoot outside yeah while breathing in a hydrated state is going to really help your back pain. <laughs> so, you know, Danny, sorry, Stephen, the um, complexity of the foot itself. So know your why, going back to know your why. So the, the foot is complex. It has one quarter, your feet have one quarter, over one quarter of the bones in your whole body. You know this, like three joint, uh, 33 joints, your leg has three joints and your foot has 33 joints. So if you... Uh, one of the things when we teach about the foot, we always go through that script of just how complicated the foot is and why it's that complex. It's complex because it's weight bearing. It's there's so much force on it all the time. Like you're doing bicep yeah. curls, but are you doing metatarsal flexion? Yeah. Right. The whole idea, if you were to walk on flat concrete for the rest of your life, 
your foot would probably lose most of its joints because they wouldn't be needed. But mm. we're designed to operate off-road, uh, step over stumps, step on rocks, climb boulders, as you were saying, hop over logs. And so that's why the foot is as complex as it is. It's a, it's a part of the body that is responsible for, as Lisa was saying, it's, it's, it's literally responsible for everything that exists above it. So taking that into consideration, we have an expression within the equine world where no hoof, no horse. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because people would negate that. But so imagine if you were to take that and say no foot, no athlete, right. Or right. Yeah. So it's, it really is a huge, huge component. So back pain, like, I mean, that, that in itself is, can most probably be directly correlate, uh, correlation of the health of the foot. And we do, this is another thing that we do when we were out, we take pictures of people's feet when they're not looking. So I could send you these, the, the crustiest looking feet <laughs> crammed into Thanks. shoes. Oh my God. I got, well, I got two stories about that. One, I was at a big footwear CEO event and there was a women's apparel company who had just gotten into footwear and they had made these very, very pretty shoes. They were all the same thing, you know, elevated heel, I mean, crazy, whatever. But the thing that was most interesting that I was the only person who seemed to notice was that with the photos they were showing with models in their shoes, they didn't have one model who fit in the shoe. It was either squeezing their toes too much or they were falling out one side or the other. I mean, they literally couldn't find someone whose foot fit the shoe. And everyone's going, oh my God, they're so beautiful. I'm going, am I the only one who's seeing this? I mean, yes. yeah. I yes. was. and similarly, my, actually my favorite one though is I'm at the airport and there's a guy in front of me, the foam on his shoes had worn out on the inside. So his feet were like hyper, hyper pronated as a result. And as he's walking, I pull up my camera and I'm you know, taking the videotape from like the knees down. So this says a lot about the state of social media. I post this on Facebook and on Instagram. On Facebook, all the comments were, see how horrible shoes are? The phone wears out and it messes up with your posture and you know, they're horrible. And on Instagram, all the comments were, I can't believe you're body shaming that guy. I went, body shaming? <laughs> I'm shoe shaming. So it was, but- You're I mean, proving a point through real life. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny when Danny Dreyer and I were hanging out at sitting on the Boulder Creek as people were running by, we were noticing, of course, their shoes, but also their gait. And just reflexively, the two of us at the same time, were just constantly going, oh my God, oh, just stop doing that. Oh, just get, don't. It, it's, you can't help but watch these things. And um, I joke with everybody who works in our office that one of the effects of working here will be a permanent change in the way that you interact with people. And the permanent change is that you will look at them and then you will look at their shoes and then you will look back at them. <laughs> And you Absolutely. can't help it. And then you look at how they move. You know, yeah. you won't and be able to. What a gift you offer because, oh, pers that's very because perspective is everything. And that's such a gift that, you know, you think about having a job selling shoes and you could put it that simply, or you could say, I have a job like changing the way people move and it's also changing me. And that's such a gift for you to offer people. We, you know, we see what we're doing again as, uh, when people ask, what are your goals for the business? I go, nothing significant, just changing the world yeah. And, yeah. and getting people, ironically, getting people back to doing what humans did for the first 99.95% of human history, which yeah. is not immobilize the foot and make it do things that it's not designed to do, let it do what's natural. And it just, we also know the CEOs of $2 billion plus footwear companies and a senior vice president of a third who said directly to friends of ours, the natural movement thing is totally legit. We just can't do it because it would be admitting everything we said for 50 years is a lie. Yeah. I so you, would like to do something to eradicate that lie. 
So what's interesting, Steve, is that we're in the same um, business. Yeah. <laughs> when we interact with people, one of the first things that we identify is specialists. So a specialist is really, really good at one thing and fails to be able to operate outside that spectrum. And they don't want to say that what they've yeah. been doing for all those years. So you're a specialist, but you're like, I mean, your your ability to move outside your specialty and to see the big picture. This is what's so valuable about your footwear, because I know that I know when I put your footwear on that it wasn't just about putting something on my foot. Right. It was about the whole picture of my brain lighting up. It was about me being coached to move efficiently with good posture, good technique. So the whole recipe was there. So I, I knew that it wasn't just about footwear. It was about life. Yeah. And so it's the same thing that what Lisa and I do. And and when we yeah. traced your, you know, it's like I said, tracing that back to the tomato, because yeah. why not bring up food again? But tracing your food back to where it came from tells yeah. you the whole story. Yeah. And one of the reasons why we're on the phone with you now, and one of the reasons why we recommend your footwear to everybody is because if you trace these shoes that you're making, Back to, back where to your they brain. Came from. Back to your back brain. Back to your brain. It's not back to the shoebox. <laughs> no. There's so much before that, and you're you are changing the world. So why wouldn't you want to put that on your feet? Yeah, agreed. Well, on that note, after saying nice things about me, and thank you very much, we're going to go back <laughs> to you and all the wonderful work you're doing. Can you do me a favor and tell human beings who want to explore more how they can do that with you? Absolutely. Everyone can reach us through the AkiraConcept.com. Everything starts there. Spell that for people who need that spelled out. T-H-E, the T-H-E. Kira, A-K-I-R-A, concepts, so N-C-E-P-T.com. And I never was good at spelling bee, so I'm really happy That's I did good. that. You can connect through our social media there, and you can also join our community. We'd love to have you if you care. Yeah. We want you there to share on what we're doing. I like that. I have, if you want to be part of the tribe, please subscribe. I like, if you care, we want you there. That works too. So, I just came uh, up with it right now. It worked uh, out. Yeah. Write it down. You'll use it. So Lisa, David, first of all, thank you for this. And thank you for everything you're doing. Um, we're looking forward to helping promote what you're doing uh, as well, because there's, you know, there are a number of people doing good work, but there aren't a lot of people doing good work. And so mm -hmm. it's always a treat when we find people who, who see it and get it and are able to better to together, better together. Yeah. So for everybody else, thank you for being here. Once again, if you want to find out more, find previous episodes, et cetera, head over to www.jointhemovementmovement.com. Like we just said, you'll find all the um, previous episodes, the places you can interact with us on Facebook and YouTube and Instagram, et cetera. And of course, all the places you can get podcasts, um, the sharing part, please just do that. Like, and subscribe and tell your friends opt in. If you want to get an email about when we have new episodes, which kind of come out almost every week, unless something crazy is going on. And if you have any questions or requests or someone you think you should be on the show, you want me to know about it, drop me an email, move at join the movement movement.com. But most importantly, go out, have fun and live life feet first.